This is a new episode of my podcast, Say It As It Is. I am Andreas Ries and my guest today is Dominic O'Brien. Dominic is a computer science entrepreneur, programmer and crypto miner. He is married and has two daughters. Dominic, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. So uh, first, I would like to, you are Britain. You said to me, right? Yeah, I, li I lived in I lived in the, in the UK for for many years. So I've got a British passport. All right. So what would I would be very interested to know to find out about what did you make you leave Britain and come to Switzerland? Okay. Well. Let me put it this way. Um, before I went to, to England, I lived in the States for, for 10 years. And that was one kind of life. Okay? Yeah. Uh, very, very busy life. Extremely uh, long hours. Always uh, running like there is no tomorrow. But also a very beautiful life in terms of scenery and uh, the beach and you know I, I lived in florida and in la and my last year in san diego and then i came to england and left sort of the u.s behind and i had to pretty quickly figure out what i want to do and i, I had no interest to go back into to a, a sort of a corporate uh you know wear suit wear tie sort of thing so mm -hmm. i had to find my my own way i had a little uh, i had a little uh <laughs> local uh, computer shop uh, that yes. I opened. And uh, for a while I was driving, uh, right in the beginning I was driving taxi. The, the, the London, London had just changed its, its uh, regulations on uh, allowing taxi drivers, which was extremely difficult before. You had to study for the knowledge like for several years to have any chance of getting a permit to, to, to drive in London. And uh, but they had just sort of opened up uh, because anyway, I got myself a permit and I uh, I was uh, driving around in the south of London for a while. That was also quite fun. And to answer your question, what made me leave England? Well, um, specifically, uh, I met a Swiss girl, and uh, so of course I'm. I moved to Switzerland, but having said that, uh, I was already looking to get sort of out of there because I felt it was getting, I mean, it was not a place I would want to start a family or would like my kids to grow up. I find it too, um, I always said the, the attitude, uh, the, the, the attitude was sort of, Generally, uh, there's us and there's them. And there was always the us and them attitude when you talk to people. You know, it's like they did that to us. You know, it's us and them. You know, it was all, yeah. it, it's, it's, like an, it's like an attitude. And I can't stand it. it I, I really can't stand it. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, it's, uh, yeah, I felt it was run down quite a bit. Because I lived in, in England before, many years before. And when I came back, it was just not at all the England I, I used to 
mm-hmm. used to love and uh, you know mm-hmm. i i felt the competence had had really gone down to a large extent and a lot of ooh, 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 yeah, uh, mm, what you want man kind of attitude you know which is terrible really yeah. um it doesn't mean you don't, so you don't find them in Switzerland too, you know. I'm sure you can <laughs> if you look for them, but but they're not. I tell you, they're not as um, as pronounced uh, yet. Okay. So, but you had a good time in England, huh? Yeah, so. yeah, good times. I had good yeah. times. I met some very interesting people. Yeah, I had I had, I had a good time. How was life in London, especially? Uh, very busy, um, very busy as well. Like life, really, in any big city, uh, not particularly. Um, uh, I, I like London as a city. I think it has a nice feel to it. But to live there, it's quite. Um, it's too compact for me. It's too packed. Yeah, you know, too many people. Uh, let alone just uh, the prices. I mean, London has become so unaffordable uh, yeah. in a way, you know, because yeah. uh, I mean, you go to a restaurant there, it's ridiculous. So it's like, it's like, it's like more expensive than Switzerland. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that, that and says a lot. <laughs> that says a lot, right? <laughs> that says a lot, you know. That's something we are suffering here in Switzerland, you know, these high prices. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, people, People also earn a lot in Switzerland. Of course, of course, yeah. You know, they and earn a say, lot. And I would say the, and the general quality is high in Switzerland. Definitely. On, on the goods, definitely. on everything, you know. Yeah, definitely. Even on the definitely. air, you know, you're breathing. The good air. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no question. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a very nice quality of life in Switzerland. A much nicer quality of life than London or, or south of England. I mean, and the south of England, that's the rich part of England. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, only, it, it only gets worse as you move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, up, yeah, yeah. You know? I understand. Thank you for that. So uh, I also heard that you are uh, like uh, active in the, in the crypto mining space. A little bit. A little bit, yes. What, yeah. what brought Not you to sure. that point? Well, I, you see, I'm always, um, I'm always into, I, I've always worked with computers and the concept of a cryptocurrency, um, sort of, you run across that concept when you, when you're in the, uh, reading, uh, uh, stuff on computers half, half the day, you know, you run mm-hmm. across that. And I found it very interesting because I find the whole, finance system as it is in in our current civilization flawed you know for a long time that puzzled me i'm i'm in fact maybe that's a different subject but maybe we want to get into it but um we will go go into it later okay all right well i can tell you i at, at some point i realized what the flaw is in our current system and i'm happy to outline it but i was basically just bothered by the volatility or or um, yeah, sort of money out of nothing. The whole concept of that money appears from nothing. That the, an actual dollar is no longer a dollar at all. You yeah, know, right. there is yeah. no backing. There is nothing that actually 
supports that actually. You know, like uh, in recent uh, in recent months and this year, especially with the whole Corona scene, uh, more and more money uh, is being uh, minted out of absolutely absolutely nothing. As far as cryptocurrency is concerned, well, you can't do that with crypto. It's actually it actually has at least most of the cryptocurrencies use a, uh, use work as a proof, you know, proof yeah. of proof of work. And with that, you can't just come up with ah, uh, oh, come on, we create another hundred thousand uh, bitcoins and sell it to people and so forth. It doesn't work because it's a it's a it's it's cryptographic and and that I find that very promising. So a, a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin, and even more the the bitcoins that are more privacy oriented, like yeah. Monero. Um, I like Monero, but I don't like the politics behind Monero particularly. The devs, I'm not so such a big fan of. I'm a I'm a big fan of a tiny tiny cryptocurrency <laughs> that is actually a fork of Monero, which is called Rio. And funny enough, the guy's a UK developer, the guy who, no, really? who developed Rio. Yeah, and he's a good guy. It's a team of two actually, but it, it, very very good guys. They they wrote one of the Monero miners that they're still writing and keeping up to date, and they are they are very cool dudes. And what they've done with with Rio is even better than Monero, I okay. think. Except except that it doesn't have the um, the exposure and the use yet. You know, I think okay. it's one of those. It's one of those cryptocurrencies, a real, that has an incredibly strong base. All right. You know, whether it's ever going to go to anything, I don't know. But, yeah. you know, it only costs 0. 0.00003 cents uh, we're, we're per real. Right. <laughs> yeah. But now, Dominic, can you explain me and for my listeners, most of them are laymen's concerning okay. cryptocurrency, What is it yeah. all about? Is it a scam or is it something real or is it something you have to believe in or is it just a fraud? What is it? Crypto, cryptocurrency. Oh, cri okay, cryptocurrency is basically uh, in nothing else, but you know, normally when you have money, you have a banknote, okay? Yeah. Now, the banknote is replaced by... Uh, we call it a token. And what that actually is, is just a long string of numbers that is sort of a, a complete random string of numbers, okay? And that's sort of a banknote, if you if you may say. That's your banknote, this, yeah. this, this long string of numbers. And, and uh, when, you, when you want to spend it, uh, you have to uh, put the transaction on a thing that you... And your listeners surely have heard about called the blockchain. Yeah, and it's really yeah we know about that. And the blockchain actually changed everything. And people ask me what is a blockchain actually. And in in a few words, to give a bit of a fund a bit of a basic on this and a, the fundamentals on that, a blockchain is basically a distributed database. That's what it is. It's a bit database that you and I have the same data in the database. And if I'm no longer there, well, you still have all the data in the database, and so has everybody else that participates in the blockchain. 
okay? okay? And it's a database. And in order to keep it in sync, what happens is uh, we agree on a, on, an, uh, on a rhythm, on an update rhythm. And I think with uh, Bitcoin, I think it's 15 minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. So every 15 minutes, we are updating all of us together, the contrib- all of the uh, people that contribute to that network. We all, con- we all update our database with the same data than everybody else, okay? Mm-hmm. Every 15 minutes. So what happens is during this 15 minutes period, the next 15 minutes, if you want to make a transaction, let's say, yeah. and I say, well, I'm going to sell this, or I'm going to sell, send part of my uh, my crypto uh, value, I send that to someone else, and I make a transaction, okay? Because mm-hmm. well, let me just go a little bit step forward. The big problem for a very very long time, why electronic currency uh, was very difficult to implement. The problem has always been the problem of double spending, meaning I have a coin here, and how can I prevent that I can't spend this coin at the same time in two different places on the planet? Mm-hmm. You know, I buy a car over here and I buy a car over here. How does that guy over there, you know, mm-hmm. I, how does a guy in Japan know that the same <laughs> coin has been, has been spent in California the same second? It's yeah. a double spend problem, okay? Yeah. And with the advent of the of the um, uh, this database, this distributed database, the blockchain that prevents that. And the way that is prevented is uh, when I do a spend, it doesn't get spent immediately. It gets spent when the next fifteen minutes period is up. That's when mm-hmm. it it only gets. The transaction only actually happens then. Yeah. And what happens is, in these 15 minutes, all the transactions from all contributors on this blockchain, they all compare their transactions, and they all have to agree that th- this transaction is valid, meaning there isn't another transaction yeah. in this transaction yeah. that con- that counters this, so it's not possible. And that's all done by software. So what happens if I were to double spend? in Japan and in California in the same second, okay? Then what would happen is, well, the Californian guys, they would be happy with this transaction because I don't know about the Japanese one. And whoever is linked to them, they would all be happy with that transaction. And the Japanese would also distribute, distribute. But at some point, it would create a conflict. As soon as these networks converge, there would be a conflict. And and only only when 51% of agreement has been reached in a network, mm-hmm. then the that becomes, yes, when we have a majority, then that becomes the next 15 minutes database that everyone shares. So depending on the speed, uh, either the Japanese or the Californian transaction would fail. Yeah. One of them would fail and only one of them would be then the accepted next 15 minutes database content that then would be shared. And that's basically how a blockchain works. Okay, okay. And you think that's the future? Um, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily? Like no, Not necessarily, no. Right now, because of Corona and stuff like that, you know, uh, our current financial system, they are 
printing money like mad, but right. at the same time they have the lockdown. That we are prevented yes. from working. Yes, yes, yes. This is a this is of course a complete bogey. But um, if we if we just look a little bit about the history of money and what's wrong with money, because people intuitively they understand that there's something wrong with the monetary system as it is. People understand that because they understand. Uh, or no, people don't understand, I should say. People just know intuitively something is not quite right. Mm -hmm. And in order, to, in order to understand what is actually going on, one has to look a little bit into the history of money. Because money used to be a very simple thing. Um, you would have precious metal or something stamped or something like that, and it would get exchanged. And that's very practical because you don't have to run around with your eggs or your bread or your chicken. You know, that very, yeah. very nice thing because for your coins, you get something that you might not otherwise get. It's a very useful system. Now, sometime in the, in, in the 1900s, uh, they started what is called the fractional reserve banking. And that is a system whereby all of a sudden, because before, if you wanted a loan from a bank, if you mm -hmm. wanted a loan, if I went said, oh, listen, I, I, I have this great idea. I want to create this amazing uh, laboratory to find out how to make electricity, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the 1900s, you know, and, and you go to the bank and you'll go, give me like, give me like a, uh, $300, okay? What would happen is at the time they would go and uh, and look in their vault and they go, oh, we have, th have $30,000 in the vault. The guy wants 300. I mean, these $30,000, these were deposits of people and they would take $300 out of the deposits of people and give you, the give you basically the money of other people, mm -hmm. you know, betting on the fact that they... Uh, not everybody would want their money back at the same time and they yeah, could yeah. collect on interest and stuff <laughs> like that. And that was sort of workable. Now, in the, the, in the mid-1900s, they started this fractional reserve finance banking system. And that allowed the banks all of a sudden, legally, to loan more money than they actually have. So when they, let's say, they had like a million in the bank, okay, then they were, <coughs> when they sort of had a million in the bank, then they were all of a sudden allowed to lend a certain multiple of that, let's say twice as much. So they were allowed to lend two million, even though they only had a million. Okay, so what would happen is they would sign, a, they, they would basically give you an, um, uh, just credit your account with, let's say you wanted a loan um, uh, of a hundred thousand, they would just credit your account with a hundred thousand as a number, you know, and make another account with minus one hundred thousand, and that was it. And mm -hmm. but the money didn't actually, actually factually didn't exist except half of it. You know, and, mm -hmm. and that went on and on and on. Now, the interesting thing is that works. That is, a, the, the, the idea of giving a loan is actually not a bad idea because people get, take a loan uh, 
usually out of the idea of creating some additional value. That's right. People take a loan to because they know they're going to create something with this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why, they, or or they want to, uh, you know, buy a house and then renovate it, or or there's some value that is being added to in some way normally. Mm-hmm. And if loans wouldn't exist like this, and you wouldn't be able to take uh, a loan to build a new factory or something like that, well, a lot of good ideas would never come to fruition. That's right. So yeah. there is something not bad about a loan. The problem is this, and this is a bit hard to get your head around, but it's like this. If I take uh, take, take you, give an example of the house I'm living in here. We bought this house. We got a million bucks from the bank. Okay. They give us a million francs. And in fact, the million francs didn't exist at all. They only got created the second they approved my loan. Mm. And it was very interesting because in 2009, I had the chance to review the source code of core, a, a core banking system. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was very curious to see well, what, what, what actually happens when the loan is approved? What actually occurs in that moment? And there is only two things that occur and nothing else. The, the core banking credits your checking account mm-hmm. with, the, with the loan in question and it debits your loan account. And on the books of the bank, that evens out. You know, minus, uh, my, uh, plus on the left and minus on the right. Their balance sheet just expanded by a million. That's it. Nothing mm-hmm. else happened mm-hmm. in the books of the bank. Now, even that part is actually not a problem. Okay? That, money, that system of money creation by loan is not inherently wrong. It's not yes, inherently it's wrong. significant so far, huh? Yes, but here's where the problem started. The problem started when they started to ask for interest. Okay. Because now what happens is the bank is asking me for interest on this million. And I have to basically pay interest, well, from the money in circulation, you Mm. know, the money that I make and the money in circulation. But what actually, if you take it and you simplify it right down, you know, you take yourself as an old monopoly set, okay? And you set yourself up and you go, here's the government, here's the bank, and here's me, and there's my friend. And you distribute some money around and you start simplifying it right down. You realize that this money that is asked for in interest actually was never created. Yeah. What was created was a loan, yeah. but all of a sudden, there is a part that you need to pay back, yeah. which is this interest to, money. You have to work, right? Yes, but, yes, you have to work, but this money still needs to exist somewhere, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, what, and that is actually the whole, whole problem in the system. The problem is that the amount of money created that's fine, but the interest on it never gets created. Okay, okay, yeah. And if, and I have a proposal actually, because we didn't feel that really, this problem, till about the 60s, 
the 60s, 70s, um, the 60s and the 70s. In the 70s, it started to become a little evident. The 80s were quite terrible. The 90s were terrible. I mean, you see this debt curve going hyperbolical, you know, like, and debts increase, increase, increase. And it's always, the that's the only way, by taking more debt, how you can actually service the existing loans because the money to pay them back is no longer in existence. Yeah, yeah. okay. You know, so, but... Now, there isn't many people that understand that. I talk to bank directors. They don't get that. They don't understand it. They don't even, some of them don't even know that the second you press an approve button, all that's, that's the only thing that's done. Plus, mm-hmm. minus, done. They yeah. don't understand that. Now, here, here's a very simple solution because there's a very easy way out. You just have to say, well, whenever the money that is demanded in interest is paid to the bank, it has to be created at the same time, just like it was when the the primary part was created. And of course, that would mean the the bank would make double profits, once by the interest you just paid them, plus the other one, the one they just created out of nothing, like your loan was. Mm -hmm. So this money should go really to the government to be reinvested. It has to re-enter the money stream. And I think think that that would be a system that could be very workable, very, very workable. But now back to the corona where we actually came from to answer that question. Yeah. What we're having right now, this incredible amount of money being created, is not actually as dumb as it might seem. Because the IMF, who is actually aware of this, and the World Bank is actually aware of this problem, they know what's going on. They're not, you know, very few people understand this, but they know what's going on. They have lowered interest rates to basically zero. Or even minus Yes. And they're pumping out money. You know, they're creating money, giving loans, giving loans. But listen, this is not so dumb because we've been for years in this hyperbolical debt scene Mm -hmm. and we needed more debt in order to service previous loans. Now we're getting debt that is interest free. That means they're not perpetuating the same problem. Yeah. Okay. It's for the time being, and, st- and still allow- allowing enough money in the circulation to service existing loans. Yeah. You have to be very careful with this because the production has to match. Otherwise, it's like a card house that falls apart. And, of course, having a corona lockdown while creating money, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's difficult, of course. Yeah. yeah? But nevertheless... It, it, it's not completely idiotic because yeah. they're doing it at, at a 0% interest. Yeah. Okay, I understood that. That's a, that's a new aspect of the whole situation. Would that baby have a name if I ask you the theory? Um, well, I would say, no, it's just... It's just, no, it doesn't have a name. I haven't got it a name, given it a name. It's just uh, uh, interest, uh, no, no name. No, I don't have a name for it. Okay. Thank you for that. 
Uh, if you come up with a name, let me know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he will write the book sooner or later. Well, I've written a, I've written a full article on it. Actually, it's online. Okay. It's online, and uh, you can you can uh, you can read it. It's sort of explained a bit better, maybe than I've done it verbally. But maybe this is even better than than that. I don't know. Thank you. Now tell me, I know you're a big fan of Elon Musk. Why? Okay, for two reasons. I have this concept. I have this concept that basically as humanity, okay, as humanity, we are in all theory uh, 100% capable of dealing with the problems at hand. With the population growth, with uh, uh, with uh, pollution, climate change, no problem to deal with that. If if we use wisely the resources that exists on this world, and engage technology 100%. Okay, okay. I, I believe that using technology cleverly is the advantage that we have as humans over other life forms mm -hmm. you know we have this we can come up with technology real incredible technology you know and um and he is doing that mr musk has some incredible views on things yeah. you know the way he tackles things he goes well he knows for example that um, that to to deal with big distances mm -hmm. on electro vehicles is a problem, okay? And yeah. maybe you shouldn't even have and, and plus motorways. I mean, what's beautiful about a motorway? Nothing. Why on earth to have motorway above ground anyway? There should be underground in tunnels. Mm -hmm. Every last motorway should be underground. There's no need to have them above ground, mm -hmm. you know. Plus, okay. you have wind and all sorts of things. So he started a, a tunneling company to make a tunnel between L.A. and San Francisco to be able to commute in this town, do a commute, mm -hmm. a very fast commute, you know, without animals crossing, where where cars can be at a distance of 20 centimeters to each other, mm -hmm. basically, because they're all electronically driven anyway, so it gives a toss. You, you can pile them in, and just, there's no wind resistance, that they just move as one. Didn't we have I this discussion in Switzerland too, about this, a similar project between yeah. Geneva and Zurich? Fantastic. Los Lausanne and, and Zurich. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. You, you heard yeah, it? I think... No, I have not. But I think it's a fantastic. Yeah. The other the other thing that I'm very much that really got me very interested in some of the stuff Mr. Musk said is when he started his nonprofit. Um he started a nonprofit basically warning people uh about the dangers of AI. Okay. I heard about it, yeah. And, yeah. And And I tend to completely 
I'm I'm really on the same page as him with that. And um, one of the things I don't know people uh, people are not aware of this, but for example, Google has one of the largest AIs, okay, mm-hmm. which is basically nothing else but in uh, but a networked computing engine, okay. And this AI, they trained that AI actually to play Go. Mm-hmm. Okay, the game Go. Yeah. And the the AI was so clever in learning Go, they basically just made the AI play. A, Can you explain this game quickly? Yeah, it's an it's it's a it's a Chinese Japanese game with uh, white and black. Uh, little coins, so to speak, little little oh, okay, yeah. chips. Yeah. Okay, and uh, it's played widely uh, over there in the east. Uh, people play a lot of go, and uh, it's 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 as complex as chess, actually, and in many in many aspects. And they basically wrote an AI that taught itself to play go. Really, Google did. And it played go against each other, against itself for six weeks, after which it beat every go play, player on the planet. Really, that's buff, done, incredible. You know, incredible. Now, an AI basically can make a mistake, but it only makes a mistake exactly one time, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then that mistake is not no longer repeated. You know, yeah, and. And he basically is a human. Huh? We, yeah. we like to make the same mistakes again and again and again, you know. Exactly. And and one of the things that that he says is basically this AI. You see, you, they didn't program it to. They didn't program it to play Go. They programmed it to teach itself how to play mm-hmm. Go. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and the, the problem with Google's AI is they you basically just give it rules. Like uh, general rules, and then it performs the action necessary to follow those rules. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and Google's AI is in particularly dangerous because it has admin access to all of Google's computers. Yeah. Okay. That AI has admin access oh, to I, all of really. Google's computers. Yeah. So in other words, if You make one little glitch, okay, uh, in programming an AI. It can have extremely wide, far-reaching consequences. I'll give you an example. You say to the AI, you set a parameter, and you say, you have to make sure humans are happy. Let's say you give it that as a parameter. Yeah. The next thing you know, the AI has all the humans. On a on an injection with happiness hormones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, like yeah. in a in a completely sedated state, you know. Yeah. But of course, that's that's like what the AI would like to do, mm. because that's the parameters you gave, and it's very easy to make a mistake with yeah, yeah. with something like yeah, this. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's not completely overseeable in in yeah. how and far this no can go. There is no ethics and no moral. Uh, no, 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 it's not. Sensation. And also, and also, the, the AI could decide at some point that, or, or, or not decide, but it could reason that actually, the administrator is actually in the human administrator is actually in the way to him achieving the things set out. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. Now, 
all of this is only on a computing level. It's not particularly earth-shatteringly dangerous in, in that there is no execution. You know, the AI can't arrest anybody directly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You see? Yeah, yeah. But the, understand. But the second you start implementing Robocops, like they do in China, yeah. that are run by an AI, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's humans, game over. Yeah. I mean, it's like that, that we, we shot ourselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. It will not be long if we allow that. So in a, in a way, this whole idea, this whole concept of uh, uh, robots that are run by an AI to do enforcement of some sort, you know, that can actually take charge or robot, robot soldiers, for example, or anything mm-hmm. of that sort that are run by an AI, that's basically extremely, extremely dangerous. Yeah, understand. You know. Yeah. So, Dominic, before we yes. come to the end, I would like to know your outlook of the situation of the world about COVID-19 and how we are going to survive, quote, unquote, the next future. Well, I think if you ask me for my opinion, I think uh, covid is a disaster. And it's not a disaster so much because it's a virus, but it's a disaster of how we handled it and how we dealt with it. And it's it's something that hasn't been understood by, or has only been understood by very few people, and not by politicians really at large anyway. Um, and it's, it's sort of a whole thing that I think you know, of course, COVID as, an, as a virus uh, uh, is something is something that uh, that virus exists clearly, or existed. We don't even know that in the moment exactly. But um, but the thing is that I think as the new year starts, the January February comes, and we get real statistics for the past year. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about hard statistics because all the stuff that you hear about this, that, and the other thing, it's like an it's it's a statistical nightmare. Most of it is manipulated, misunderstood yeah, right. in in many, many, many aspects. You know, but I I think as the year draws to an end and a new year starts, we will get a lot of overall statistics, like overall death rates. You know, mm-hmm. overall overall figures that will show clearly that it hasn't been as bad as we're made to believe. Yeah, I agree. Okay? And when when that happens, I think, I think there will be a backlash. I think all of a sudden the media who is just interested in reporting anything that gives listeners or viewers or readers Mm-hmm. Basically, that's all they're reporting. That you know, um, they will start picking up on that story because it will become more interesting news to people than how many tests we just had yeah, yeah. this past week, yeah. which people get slowly a little bit fed up with, frankly. Yeah, you yeah. know, 
Yeah. Interesting enough, they don't even report right now the death rates anymore. That was something that, you know, six months ago, they would say, oh, and we had, you know, another 120 deaths, you know, something like that. You hear nothing of death rates. Mm. You, all you hear now is, is um, what do they call it? Positive tests, or I don't know what the word wording is that they use. But it's very funny because they don't even talk about illness anymore. Yeah, you know yeah. I, the amount of people that are positive that yeah. I know personally. I know people that are positive, mm-hmm. that that are going. <coughs> that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Nothing yeah. happening. You know. So anyway, so I think the new year will be very, very interesting. You know, I don't see, I don't see the economic uh, disaster as tragic. Uh, as some other people see it. Because okay. for once, I think that the action of the IMF is actually correct. To, or, or correct for other reasons than, yeah. we might, than we might assume. They're pumping out this money, and actually that money is needed to make up for this huge deficit that's yeah. been going on for the last 150 years. You know? So in a way, that is not so damaged. They can do it within some sort of reason. We're not going to feel the economic impact as bad as we would have otherwise. Yeah, I understand. There will, still, there will still be the problem of uh, people will get out of job, you know, uh, unemployment will rise and all that kind of stuff. But as long as enough money stays in circulation, and as much uh, enough money is there, people will very quickly uh, start getting busy with other things. Yeah. It is yeah. just when you all of a sudden dry up the money that there is you nothing you can do. The money is just not there. You can't pay em- employers. You're like, the state is like this. There's no money for, for nothing because there's no money. Yeah. And in the moment, that's the inverse and as long as we can keep people excited about production and encourage production and not get uh, get into a situation where we literally all stop producing altogether um we can we can deal with this i think um, my my outlook is actually not so terribly terribly bad okay that's good to hear so <laughs> <laughs> really you 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 are an exception, you know. You know, being having a positive outlook into the future—that's an exception at the moment. So, yeah, I, I see. I'm very glad. I I, I want to join you on that one, and uh, I think uh, after all, it depends on us what we are going to do about it. Clearly, it lies within us. You know, it's not Clearly. written in the stars somewhere. It's human. Nature cap- capability, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I agree. Okay, Dominic, we are at the end of our interview, and I thank you very much. It was very interesting. Okay, good. I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it was fun to talk to you. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you.